played it with my family mostly like throughout my years played it a lot in middle school and high school but for the most part it was always just sort of a casual game as something that i really enjoyed the big thing that really got me into like the content creation space was through league of legends uh, league of legends and also the battlefield franchise that's where i really started getting into things like writing through websites like team liquid and team dignitas and from there uh, just started doing a lot of different things in esports journalism up until around 2013 to 2014 that's when obviously i have uh, i wish i could give you a more exciting story but it's honestly pretty boring in the fact that i'm just a documentary kid i just uh, got into the game like through seeing the documentary got into it uh, from watching the games at evo and the fact that also a lot of the teams that i followed in league of legends like uh, team curse at the time i think sponsored hungry box Yes. And obviously, Cloud9 uh, with Mango. So I like got introduced like just from observing, um, you know, those like, organizations picking up players on those teams. And for a while, I just was just religiously followed it. Like besides, League of Legends was always my main game. But anytime there was a big Smash tournament at like MLG or anything like that, I, I always tried to tune in watch it. And for the most part. For several, several years, I was just a casual observer, didn't really like attend tournaments or anything like that. But over the past like year or so, um, a lot of the websites that I write for now, as you mentioned, Esports Heaven and, and Invent Global, um, I've been talking with, and they're actually very excited about the prospect of doing more Smash content, since it seems to be something that's, uh, as far as like the written aspect, there's plenty of great video work, but there's a lot of written work that I don't think is being uh, done right now. So that's just, the main thing that I'm trying to contribute to the scene at the moment. And this brings up a, a good point. You were talking about how there's a lot of different videos being made on YouTube. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm subscribed to most of the, most of the well-known content creators and stream highlight channels for people related to melee in particular. And it's daily. It's happening all the time. You could spend just hours and hours doing that. But then for the, more uh, maybe traditional is not quite the right word but written articles happen a, a little bit less frequently there are recaps and there are coverage like coverage articles for big tournaments that happen but what you had done in particular is something that at first when i first heard about you was writing articles and also including interviews that you conduct with people from the smash scene and not just going on this weekend that happened just now so-and-so won this tournament was down originally two games to one but then made the comeback and we keep it moving so is that something that you've you've seen there's a a, a vacuum and i want to fill it yeah because um and that's actually something that when i've talked with a lot of different uh, personalities like when i've talked with ice or when i've talked with uh, mike hayes recently mm. they do say that for the most part interviews usually boil down to either just like oh like so did you think you did well this tournament or even just questions like oh so you play fox uh, how is that as a character is that a good character why do you play fox as opposed to like mario or something like that um but yeah in and that's something that you see like in esports as a whole is that there are not there is a gap in terms of actually really detailed interviews like granted in league of legends um there is a system where basically uh, to get uh, like interviews for the highest levels, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with League of Legends, but like we have the LCS and the LEC, those are the two big like leagues in the Western world. 
getting interviews there, you're only given like eight to 10 minutes. So you, your questions usually have to be like pretty watered down. But what I really love about the League of Legends, or I mean, rather the Smash community, is the fact that uh, players are willing to talk as long as you want. And that's what I really uh, try to do um, and try to like gain value from is like uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Um, there's a journalist I really expe uh, respect in League of Legends and uh, Counter-Strike named uh, Duncan Thorin Shields. He has the Grilled and Reflection series, which is bas basically like hour-long uh, series. And that was something that I saw that really wasn't taken advantage of Smash. Like, granted, it's not video interviews because I don't think I'm uh, as experienced with the video format as I am in written content. So I just really wanted to do that, just like long-form interviews with uh, questions that uh, are really personalized and really pointed. And so far, the community has uh, really seemed to resonate with it. So I'm uh, going to just keep trying to see how long we could take it. And so to honor the watered-down question format, you talk about how people don't like being asked, so why'd you choose Fox? Is it the ears or trying to be kind of done with it? Why'd you do writing? Why writing? Uh, for me, I mean, I guess it all just depends on, you know, like personality type, it all depends on like what you're good at. Like talking for me and being able to talk for long periods of time, I hope I'm doing a decent job. Uh, but for me, uh, video formats and just being able to talk for long periods of time, I think that I'm okay at it and I hope to explore more in the future and hopefully get better at it. But for me, writing has been something that's always just come like very, very easy. Uh, it's just something that I've always loved just growing up, uh, going to school, that was always like one of my favorite subjects. And in terms of the content that I really enjoy, I do a lot of interviews right now, but what I'm most proud of and what I find most uh, fulfilling is doing stuff like long form stories, and like long form feature pieces. I can send, uh, you could share it like um, in like a link in the chat, but the piece I'm most proud of is actually like an inner, not an interview, but rather just a feature based off Amza that basically just talks about his story and just like how incredible the fact that he plays Yoshi and how he's a Japanese gamer that is able to compete at such a high level despite all the different difficulties that come with that. That to me is just like the most fun to write, just like dedicating hours to get things perfectly in line and just uh, perfectly the way I want it. That's like the most fulfilling thing to me. So with the AMSA article in particular, it's a great one to talk about since you're the most proud of it. It's probably the easiest one for you to go and to dive in a little bit. How long did it take to write? How long did it from start to finish when you push it out and publish it? It's kind of a hard question to ask because, um, or hard to answer rather, because when, because you have to consider the amount of like knowledge base coming in because have been pieces that I've written where basically I was just told, okay, uh, write this story about this person. And it's someone that I have absolutely no idea about. So you have to dedicate like tons of hours of like research into that. Um, just like finding out what sort of angle you want to get. For me, a lot of the actual research was just from following him. It was just because Amza was always someone that I was really interested in. Uh, so for the Amza piece, I would say that the research itself wasn't that difficult. And what I found is that if it's a subject that does really speak to you and is something you're really passionate about, 
um, a lot of the writing can sort of like flow out of you. So I would say it was, if I remember correctly, it's about like a 2000 word piece. I probably from start to finish probably was something like 15 to 20 hours or so. And then, like you said, if it's something that you're going to need to have a little bit more research and understand context, not just looking up tournament results, but watching back on VODs, trying to capture what the day was like for tournament performances, and also like you deep dives on social media for that person that you're the subject that you're writing on probably takes significantly more time, like pushing 100 hours to get to 2000 words. Does that sound accurate to you or is it somewhere in the middle? Um. It depends on the piece. I can tell you that I don't want to spoil uh, who it's about, but I do have a very, very long feature on a melee player that's coming out soon. That is something where not only did I like, like you said, like research bonds and stuff like that, but I also talked to like many experts, like many of the friends of that player, many people that uh, played his particular um, character. Uh, so yeah, that was something where it was like a significant time sink to probably, I wouldn't say a hundred hours. That would be kind of, um, that would be like quite an, a, quite a time investment, but it was definitely like approaching something like 30 to 40 hours, I would say. Wow. That's it. That's almost pushing two days. Like two, just imagine doing two straight days of going at the end of two days, I will have written one of the best daggum articles in the entire world but i will also have had no sleep and i would have been staring at a screen for like 40 plus hours does that sound appealing to you at all or it's no? a lot of fun though it's a lot of fun sounds appealing to me i love it <laughs> that's awesome so i had on dylan tate who writes for upcomer and just hearing about how one of the things that he felt like at the time anyway, hopefully he f would answer differently now that he felt like interviews were one of the things that he was a little bit on the weaker side for, not because he didn't take education for it, he's going to school for, for, for journalism, but because he just feels like in terms of especially recording it for video or for just audio, like there's just a certain amount of conversation carrying that you have to have. And it's something that I said to him, I don't know if I would say that I, that's a natural thing for me. Sometimes I have a two minute conversation and I have no idea how to keep it going. But then other times could talk to somebody for like three hours. It uh, Most of the time it tends to depend on who I'm carrying the conversation with. Would you say that wanting to write is more because of that's what you enjoy or do you feel like a natural, a natural, like you want to avoid trying to inject any more of yourself into it by putting into video form or, or for audio is writing just where you feel like it's the most in, in, in that control box that you have, if that makes sense. Um, well, the one, first of all, like the one factor, it's not as like romantic, but, um, the one thing is that it's just beneficial for SEO, uh, in terms of like getting it, getting to have clicks on it and having eyes to see it video can sometimes be a lot more challenging. So that's like uh, factor one. Um, what I will say though, is that before I used to do just directly written interviews where basically I would just send a list of the que of questions and then I would have uh, people, I would just have players respond back because they would just like type out all of the responses. And that was like where I was trying to do sort of what you were saying where I did sort of, I guess like, 
sanitize it and sort of like condense it down as much as possible and like make it so I was like completely out of the piece. But what I found over the course of as I've gotten more experience with it is that I just way more enjoy just hopping in a call on Discord like we're doing right now with whoever the player personality might be and just like hashing out with them, just having like an authentic conversation and then transcribing it to text. Like it could be released as video, um, but I just find it like, I feel like, as I mentioned, like there are certain um, just business aspects where it's more beneficial to do it as a written piece. And also I just find myself to be uh, a lot cleaner because, you know, I do have a tendency to ramble. So the questions come out a lot more like concise and uh, condensed down when I have it in written format. But I would say that it actually is important to have a like you know have your personality as the interviewer in the interview to have it more be like a conversation than just like 10 like random questions from the ether that are pulled out and given to someone it is way more interesting uh for the reader to actually have it be a, like a conversation between two people i would say and also ride the line of trying to tell a story or build a narrative to have your piece sort of lead the reader the consumer to a certain spot not that you're trying to deliberately like lead the audience the consumers on but you're not just going to put something out and try to be neutral it won't pop off the screen or the page as well or at least that's what i sort of think about when i conduct interviews i go i don't want to like <laughs> i don't want to say like something radically ridiculous in a hot take and be like and that's the direction the community's headed in right right oddball that's what we're doing I don't necessarily want to put it like that, but how much do you think about telling a story or building a narrative when you're conducting your own interviews? I mean, sometimes you do want to ask questions. Like, I mean, for example, the ICE interview went, uh, it went over like very good on Reddit and very well on social media, uh, mostly because, and it, it was because it was something that shocked me and shocked the community. The fact that the person that has been like Armada's boy for, like several years, like been one of his best friends and been like definitely in the Armada camp. He was like, oh, I think Mang was probably the goat at this point. Um, obviously, you, it, it would be too clickbaity if you just tried to bait out a bunch of responses and tried to get like controversial opinions just left and right. And I don't think, I feel like after a while that might work in the short term, but after a while, the community kind of sort of sees where you're coming from. If like every single time you see an oddball piece, it's just, oh, this player is saying something controversial, like, again, like, it works in the short term, but in terms of, like, actual credibility, you do need to have, like, a balance where you do want to have stuff that is, like, interesting and will want people to actually, like, read your article and be the type of stuff that people want to read, but you don't want to just have the entire article just be baits and trying to get, a, a, like, just, you know, have as many clicks as possible on it yeah especially like you the obvious part of that is the headline or the i don't know how many articles always have thumbnails but i guess maybe they do on twitter links but the all the whole idea in one sense is to say we are going to just get as many people into this page as possible and <laughs> it doesn't really matter much after that but when you're talking to somebody like ICE, who's very integral, especially in the EU melee scene, you're not going to bring them on just to be 
just to be clickbaity about it or, or I don't want to even I don't know if I would always say that clickbaity is like blatantly disrespectful to the person's time or what have you where you kind of make them feel mm. used for the quotes that they give but that is one way to do it but then I think what you've done a really good job of thus far from the articles that I've read of yours is is writing that line where you're like oh this is a great quote we're not going to hide this but not necessarily trying to take where it goes to and then just to get people in artificially push it in a like a stronger take side of that pendulum and for the only purpose of bringing people in so that's really cool while we're talking about that kind of stuff i will ask you to put your camera like if you're on a laptop just bring it down a little bit and you're oh yep right right about there is good yes perfect you look great (laughs) sorry about that no worries you can't see you can't see yourself so that that is that is a challenge i am trying very hard to anyone who's watching on working on that okay so i wanted to ask you a little bit more about amsa just because that's a player who has interested you and you have no doubt watched AMSA's performance at the Summit 11 that just happened about a month ago already. It's it's August it's August 17th today. Oh yeah, my goodness. It's getting there. Yep, it's getting close. So what do you remember from that weekend if, if it was specifically watching AMSA or the Grand Finals which of course are already legendary? What do you remember from that particular weekend? Um to me the biggest things that I really resonated was seeing act finally like perform like that has been one of the most heartbreaking things is i am someone that's like you know a big low tier supporter that's why i like people like amza and people like x and i know that uh x has had a really rough time like the past year Uh, the fact that it just doesn't really seem to he doesn't really seem to enjoy online play so i would say that the thing that i'm really most enjoyed about summit was just what like because there is like a certain degree where you do have to put like stock and value into online results, but it was nice to see like a lot of people that were being kind of like dismissed, Hungrybox, um, the app, those type of people. It was nice to see a bit of a comeback. Granted, none of them had like the greatest performances like that we've ever seen. Like none of them uh, won summit or even like made finals or anything like that. Uh, but that was the most memorable part. And the fact that obviously Mango smashed that. <laughs> it was an amazing grand finals performance on and loser's run on Mango's part. But what do you think of when you hear, like you've, I'm sure you've heard of this, where Hungrybox is on stream, like maybe right before the tournament, right after the tournament, and he's going, yeah, so apparently this whole time I've actually had like a, 12 or 13 frame delay for my headphones to hear audio which is kind of a big deal for me (laughs) we're all going are you kidding me is that the reason is that the nerf that we've all been debating back and forth the entire quarantine for it has been uh, something that i've seen many many different discussion points throughout podcasts and videos of just going like what's going on with hungry bucks and of course the same applies to axe as well because they both are in the united states and so should have decent connection with other united states players but like you said, it not that it's the same exact reason for Axe, but f- when you think about something like that for Hungrybox, is it just like, what's going on? Or is it more of like, come on, man? 
I, I mean, I feel like that was kind of him grasping at straws. Like, granted, he did make third, but he's. Uh, it, it doesn't look like the hungry box that like we had had before the pandemic happened. Like when he was just winning every single tournament. I do think that the online. I do think that hungry box still is like probably a top five player. I don't think many people would contest that. But I mean, just the fact that so many players are getting constant puff practice, and the fact that I mean he. He almost he almost lost IBDW in addition to like losing to Mango and Zane. So I mean it's gonna be a difficult road for him. I could see him still like taking like tournaments every once in a while. I think he's probably gonna revert back to like 2013 to 2016 era where he's always going to be like in the top of standings and things like that. But dropping sets again and there are going to be players that are very hungry for him that will probably um be able to take him out more it i mean part of the aspect was also that he dedicated so much time to ultimate and was uh too busy making uh tens of thousands of dollars um just from streaming and stuff like that uh <laughs> I, I feel like that's definitely was a big incentive for why he wasn't uh, as much of a presence in online tournaments. But yeah, I think he's definitely better than he was in online, but I just can't see him being like the number one undisputed again. I think that there was a good chance of Hungrybox being able to ride that way for maybe one more year if the pandemic never happened. This is something that I've thought of before with Hungrybox specifically. Not to derail the fact that we're talking about you, but you are a well-learned individual on all things Melee and Smash. So I think about what if the pandemic had not happened? Obviously, that would be great for a bunch of other reasons, but in Hungrybox's camp, would that have enabled him to bounce back from... Genesis 7 after losing to Zane, winning Summit 8, if I were, no, Summit 9, excuse me, and then being able to take 2020, then maybe get knocked off this year. It's just already insane that he was number one, ranked number one, three years in a row in Melee. I thought that was, that was incredible. And there are factors of why maybe players like Leffen and Mango and obviously Armada retiring in 2018 might have led to that happening, but he still was the player who more often than not won the tournaments that he entered. So yeah, I love, I love thinking about that sort of thing. Does that carry any weight with you? Or do you think that Zane would have transferred the momentum he gained in 2020 online? If there was no pandemic that Zane would have ended up at number one, or at least ranked above hungry box. It's hard to say, um, because I do think that, it wouldn't have just been a factor of like because Hungrybox probably would have been able to find an answer to Zane at some point. Like I don't think that he would just like it would be Zane winning every single tournament and Hungrybox just never being able to answer. Mango, um, like I think it was at Mango's birthday party, he like demonstrated that he was able to beat um, Hungrybox. IBDW could do it. Axe could do it. Amza um, could even do it. There were definitely plenty of players that were already able to start like dropping into loser's bracket and it could probably um, stop him from making a loser's bracket run. So I would probably agree with you that, but just like for a different reason and the fact that it wasn't just saying, I just think that everybody, like the entire top 10, everybody was catching up or at least not, not necessarily catching up, but able to find an answer to him. 
Right, because if you're not getting frequent top player puff practice, this is the time when Toussaint was the second best puff and in many ways probably very likely still is. I mean, I'm also thinking about solo battle, right, solo battle over in Europe. But it's interesting to think that there would have been, if there was no pandemic, whether or not there would have been that year or even this year when when everybody officially caught up and was able to kind of stay the course in a set with Hungrybox when they're right next to each other on the same TV. I think that's what happened a lot at Summit 11, and I think this has been said before where players were going, it's just different, and having to get used to playing in person again, having to get used to playing against Hungrybox in person again, it's a, it is definitely a different beast. We're <laughs> not scared of the pop-off per se because Hungrybox isn't going to like faint in the room with you or anything, but just it's different when it's in person for sure. But I, I did, I didn't want to forget AMSA. So AMSA had a great opportunity going into the final day to kind of make a run there and it didn't end up working out ultimately. But I would say overall, AMSA had a great showing despite Mango's SD. That's still great that he went game five and was, and was able to win. You know, we take those if you're AMSA, especially going game five against Zane. And, and ultimately losing that, but just showing that despite the fact that AMSA wasn't able to do much practicing and playing specifically against U.S.-based US players during the quarantine phase of everything, came over to Summit 11 and was still able to show really well. So exciting for, for you, I'm sure. Did you want to uh, wrap up your thoughts about Summit 11 and AMSA's performance there? Yeah, I mean, AMSA was obviously just at a significant disadvantage. He wasn't able to play against many top players for such a long time. So, I mean, yeah, it's tragic. Like, a lot of the things were just heartbreaking to see. The fact that he had to, like, fight his best friend Axe in that one uh, set. And also the fact that uh, there were um, a lot of, like, heartbreaking game fives. But, I mean, it should be celebrated, the fact that you know, I mean, obviously everybody knows at this point the fact that he's able to do this with Yoshi, but also taking into consideration that he was able to do all of this without arguably, like, without any sort of, like, practicing resources that every single other player has. It's incredible. Super, super cool. And those reverse eggs off the ledge. I can't believe that he's able to consistently do that now. It's Yeah, the dude's inhuman. But so, yeah, absolutely so cool to watch. And we're moving now into the part of the year where it's going to be September very soon, like in a couple of weeks soon. And there are some majors that are in person coming up. And we obviously don't know what the pandemic is going to continue to do as the weather changes in the, it's in the Northern Hemisphere, in the United States. And that being what it is, with the events that are supposed to happen, the first one upcoming being Reptide. What do you think is a way that you want to see the storylines of Melee progress, and what do you think is actually likely going to happen, like either a, a winner or something else that just sort of happens that you're expecting or that you want to see come out of Reptide? Um, when it comes to Riptide, I think that it's going to just be... I think It's not so much that it's going to have, like, obviously there are going to be some... Uh, it's like storylines for its own, but I really do think that it's more the continuing storyline of the offline era. The fact that it is uh, returning a, again in some capacity 
like we're probably going to see acts like bring it back again and just like have like another very strong performance um we're going to see a lot of player we're going to like see the clash between players that didn't do well in the offline era or the online era rather um competing against people that were just sort of you know people like ibdw that were really able to thrive in that period that to me is going to be like the main thing we're going to see except like this time it's going to be way more people instead of uh what we were limited to when it comes to smash summit and also just being able to finally have an audience again i mean that's going to be the biggest thing is because i think so many players miss that like just being able to have like the energy of the crowd it's going to be like a huge celebration in that terms like not just from the competitive aspect but just from the cultural aspect all the commentators i've talked to they have not really enjoyed like the off the online era very much so there's just so much to celebrate, just actually having a huge crowd of Melee fans again. Speaking of energy from crowds, what are some esports events that you've been to where you could really feel that energy and where it's been memorable to you all these years later? Oh, easily, easily the biggest one is Season 3 World Championships of League of Legends, uh, where SKT T1 beat Royal Club. Um, that's where I got to go to the finals and see, like, that was Fraker's first time winning the World Championship. Uh, that was just a seminal moment and being, that was my first time ever going to, like, a big esports event. So being able to go to one at Staples Center with, like, tens of thousands of other nerds like me, that was, like, uh, incredibly special. Um, I got to go to a couple of the Pat's houses in San Diego, um, which is... They had people like Hungrybox and Mewtwo King, so that was like my first time seeing people like those. That was like really special. Um, probably those two were the most significant to me, though, I would say. Are there any events that you'll be trying to attend later this year, trying to capture that energy again? Uh, I'm probably going to see if I can make it to main stage. Uh, it all depends on like flights and stuff. Currently, I live on the East Coast, but uh, I have family on the West Coast, so I'm going to try and make it to main stage. I think that that would be a lot of fun. The only thing about Riptide that's just kind of difficult is that, I mean, it's... Do you want to just ask it again, and we'll just go from there? Or Yeah, sure, absolutely. So what are some events that you're trying to make it to later this year? The biggest thing I would say is that I want to try and make it to main stage. I have family on the West Coast, currently living on the East Coast, but um, that's like the biggest one that I want to attend. I want to try and make it to Riptide, but I mean, the fact that like Sandusky in Ohio is not really the most, um, you know, accessible of places. I mean, it's cool that it's like in a water park and stuff like that, but um, that's like kind of a big ask to me, <laughs> but I'm sure that it's going to be I'm sure it's going to be a hype tournament, but I just can't personally make it there. Where is it going to be? At a water park. Oh, that's so cool. That's really awesome. Yeah, where? It's in Ohio. Oh. That's, yeah. more, that's more, I mean, I, I mean that in the semi-nicest way possible. But as a Pennsylvanian, I don't really care to give Ohio a whole lot of props. The same way I don't want to give props to New Jersey or to New York or Delaware or Maryland or... Do we border West Virginia? We probably border West Virginia. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big Pennsylvania person, so I know I, I that doesn't necessarily apply to what you're saying. Reptide is not going to be the destination point for 
other reasons other than the fact that it's Ohio for you, I'm sure. But for the fact that you're working as a staff writer at it's it's not esports haven, it's esports heaven. I'm sorry, I think I mispronounced esports, e-sports heaven. Like, do you just go to them and say, "So uh, we're paying for my flights now to go to these events, cover," eh? or is it just more of like? you're going to need to do a lot of the legwork yourself and write awesome, excellent articles that we know you can do oddball. Um, it, it all depends. Um, currently a lot of sites like sort of have budgetary issues. So that is like a big concern, but also when it comes to like, when you have something like league of legends, world championship or counter strike or things like that, that's a lot easier of an app. guaranteed um like press passes and guaranteed interviews and stuff like that i love the fact that smash doesn't have those type of things um but that is something where it is like a harder ask is because it is sort of more a wild west mentality like i could go to i could pay for them to pay thousands of dollars for me to go to riptide and then i could approach like hungry box and say like hey let's like have an interview right now and he could just say <laughs> no i don't i don't want to do that like it, it but I mean, that that is part of like the, I mean, that's what I do love about uh, the Smash thing is that in comparison to other leagues, at least for what I'm like experienced in like League of Legends, they basically have a Discord server. You fill in the requests that you want for that week and then people are forced to interview. What's so awesome as a journalist about the Smash scene is the fact that you have to go out hunting. You have to approach players on Twitter. You have to send them an email. You have to approach them in real life. And yeah, that probably leads to more no's. And it's very uncomfortable if someone like says to you, no, I don't want to do that. Like, please stop bothering me. But when you do get an interview, like not only are you fostering a lot of skills as a person and as a journalist, but when you do get an interview, you're getting a lot better of an interview because that person actually wants to talk to you. Um, so to get back to your question, uh, the, <laughs> I would, obviously that would be an awesome situation and I hope that it happens, but it is just a bigger ask because from a financial perspective and from a business perspective, uh, it's just not. Right. So there are other events that are coming up that are going to carry a little bit more weight and have a little bit more panache, I guess. The the fact that we have main stage, for, as an example, where there are spots to the next summit for each game for Ultimate and Melee on the line, like the top placing players from both of those games are going to get an automatic invite because they're qualifying spots into the next summit. So summit 12 for melee and summit four, I guess that would be, Oh, but before we talk too much about main stage or just looking ahead, well, I want to look ahead in the shorter term here in the end of August is going to be the summit ultimate summit three, which just finished the voting phase, so now all the players have been decided, and I don't have that information in front of me, but there are going to be the top players like MK, Leo, and Tweak, and Meister, and a host of other players who are who have been invited or been voted into the event, so that's very cool. Congratulations to all of you. I was curious, though, from your perspective, how do you react to the fact that already ultimate summit three has a bigger overall prize pool than smash summit 11 the melee summit that just happened did um i think it's expected 
I think that uh, the ultimate community has really been like looking for a big event. Obviously, we've had like lots of different like things with Smash, uh, where like the prize pool has been like pushed, and this is really in a lot of respects like one of their first like major major tournaments. So in some degrees, uh, uh, it does make sense. Also, the fact that it has had ba uh, backing from people like critical and people like that um, that have been putting behind it, that obviously explains a lot of the uh, financial aspect, I would assume, at least considering how big of a name that is. But um, just like from my opinions of it, I think that it's a great thing. I mean, granted, I'm not as much invested as Ultimate as I am in Melee. I am trying to put more Ultimate articles out. I put a few. I had an interview with like Kony a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but... I would say just, you know, it's good not only that uh, um, it's, you know, like rising tide lifts all boats and all that garbage. But in addition to that, I mean, I think it's also just good from a competitive aspect. It, it can't just be Melee always competing with itself. I mean, you saw this in uh, Smash 4 when, like, with Evo and Apex, you would always just see, like, every single year it would be, like, Melee has the biggest, then... Uh, Smash has the biggest. Um, Smash Four has the biggest and stuff like that. Right. So I think it's just like from a competitive aspect. Hopefully, uh, Smash Summit Twelve can come back and overtake uh, this iteration of Smash Summit Ultimate or Smash Ultimate Summit. But yeah, I think just from a competitive aspect, it's great to see and more money invested in the scene is always a good thing. Always a great thing, and what I really like is that it's going to an organization that cares about the event that it's running, you can tell that the Beyond the Summit team actually is trying to make the event as awesome as possible, address competitive concerns and content concerns, trying to present the best product, the best tournament, and the best moments that you could possibly have. And of course, the proof is in the pudding. A lot of the summits in the past, especially on the Melee side, have had a part in having really big prize pools where it just seems to kind of like break the record on itself as each year passes and so on leading to some 11 which for melee that was the biggest and will be at least until summit 12 <laughs> i would be surprised i'd be very surprised if that beat itself any sooner than that i'll just put it that way so it does mean like you said that people care enough in terms of the grassroots to contribute so have you ever been tempted to write an article on the people or is that too general of a subject when it comes to the melee community do you like focusing on one player or even a doubles team a crew have you written about a bigger subject than just one person i also would wonder that too i have i mean as just like um like just being like a regular journalist and still being someone that's like trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, there does come a degree of where editors need to just do like the less ri like, like less risky of subjects. And also, you know, you can't always just do passion projects at the time. What I will tell you is that I have had subjects where I have wanted to focus more on the people. I've always been really interested in like Korean gaming culture and I wanted to do like a long uh, like history piece about history, I guess, about like the history of Korean melee and Korean smash, like the smash scene in general, and just interview a lot of the players there and see like what the future of that like holds. That stuff just unfortunately isn't necessarily the most eye-catching. I would say that it's still stuff 
that people would find interesting and that what people would really like if they gave it a chance, but it needs to come, it needs to be something that you earn. People need to know when they read something by Oddball that it's going to be good. And um, I've been trying to do that and I hope that I've made progress, but I'm just not there yet at that point. I need to release like a lot more stuff that uh, my editors will enjoy um, and that my editors will approve of and also stuff uh, that will resonate with the community that the community will enjoy. And then once we get to that point, once I've like built trust with Smash readers, then I'm gonna hopefully be able to tackle subjects like that. That sounds like something that would be really cool to see down the line for you, but yes, to a certain extent, you can't, well, we all have would have a hard time making a splash in Melee or an Ultimate in the same way that Samox did, where I, I wasn't necessarily involved during the making of. I know that he had a couple of GoFundMes or, or Kickstarter kind of operations going on to say, hey, I'm making this documentary, and the community was like, mm. but then it comes out, and of course, well, here you are, and... <laughs> It's, it must be extraordinarily difficult when you say to yourself, there's like five, 10, 100 ideas that I have of different things that I would love to write about, but in due time and being patient about it, do you try to save ideas that you have by putting them down on a note somewhere, or is it just whatever's most important will rise to the top and be at the forefront of your mind? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it has to be like a balance there are like some journalists, uh, like the one that I mentioned, Thorin, he like for the most part is basically able to pick and choose all the pieces that uh, he was able to do. Um, what I will say for a long time, I did in League of Legends and Smash, I just wrote like exclusively passion projects where it was just 100% like this is the subject I want to write about. Not necessarily anybody cares about this right now. It's not like trending on Twitter. It's not something people are discussing. I just really like it. I'm going to write about it. I don't care. I did that and it's very fulfilling and it's very enjoyable. It's not really something that um, is going to pay the bills long-term. It's not something mm. that uh, is really sustainable. So it's just getting to the point where um, right now I still try to probably have like one passion project just all running and try and like dedicate a good amount of time to like writing that and stuff. And then at the same time, I'm also trying to find stories that uh, are stuff that people in the community are currently discussing, things that about like people that the community are currently discussing. That's what uh, really resonates with the community and like uh, is what people for the most part want to see, I guess. Um, so that's like the main focus. But to answer your question in the briefest terms, yes, I have so many ideas that I want to get to. Um, but a lot of them do have to just like be put on the back burner in order to get to the stuff that's really hot at the moment. Yes, because even though you want to look backwards and capture so many stories, then history continues to be made. Not every day per se, unless, well, yes, streams are important. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, I mean... Most of the time afterwards, nobody's going to necessarily go back and watch a full one. I'm just, I am just saying, I'm just saying. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the documentary, the one that brought you into more into Melee. I know that there were also live events that you watched around that time and afterwards, like the big Smash events, like the Apexes and the Evos. But do you remember watching it at like where you were or like what you thought of it specifically at that time? Or would you rather look back on it now as 
someone who's been involved in Melee for almost 10 years now. Do I remember where I was when I watched it? Sure. Or what you think of it now, if you've gone back and watched it since? Um, oh, I've watched it like probably like four or five times or something like that. Um, I don't know how much uh, familiarity, familiarity you have with other esports, but what was significant about the Smash documentary as a whole to the greater gaming esports, like competitive gaming community, is that it was the first documentary in any game ever that was actually good. Like, I have seen so, like, that, that was something, I've seen so many documentaries. Like, there's a thing called, like, Frag, where it doesn't even interview any of the players. There's a documentary uh, called Free to Play that's about, like, Dota, and it doesn't even really talk about Dota. It just talks about, like, Dendi and, like, how his, like, mom plays, like, the piano or something like that. There are just so many, like, garbage documentaries for the most part that, like, not garbage per se, like, they're all put together well, but they're all, like, just so boring. Like, what made the They missed the mark. Doc exactly, yeah. It misses the mark, and it misses the... It seems like it was more intended to be for... Smash was the first... The Smash Brothers was the first documentary that was not only great for introducing people to Smash, but it also was great for people that, like, were gamers, that, like, you know... That is their world. It's not something where it's just like, oh, this is a game where you press like the A button and like uh, a character dies on the screen. It was something that was relatable to both people. And obviously it just told so many like personal stories that just are incredible because I don't think, I mean, Salmax did a good job on it, uh, an excellent job on it, I would say. But it's also, he had a, he was very lucky to have just such an interesting subject. Like the fact that the five gods are just all so interesting of characters. The fact that just the general history of Smash is so awesome. So the way that I saw it was a lot of journalists that I know were just talking and raving about it and how it was the greatest. And all around you would see uh, the top 10 like esports documentaries ever made. Every single one that I would read about, all of them would put Smash Brothers like at the top. So. When I watched it, um, I was I had very high expectations, and it exceeded those expectations. Granted, now there's like a few things that are probably kind of like a, a little dated. They probably should like censor some of like the language scenes and whatnot. It's not necessarily perfect, but it is a it is a very human, a very human project, a very human like movie series, and um, you know it it's changed my life in a way. So I mean. I owe a lot to it, and um, I still have a lot of reverence for it, I would say. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you, like, everything that you said. I don't have really any familiarity with other esports scene, but I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, this is exactly the sort of thing that I would want to show to somebody who didn't really necessarily understand Melee, and for a lot of people, the fact that they attribute getting into Melee as being a doc kid proves that it, I wasn't the only one who felt that way, that hundreds of thousands of people who had seen it just immediately went, I have to share this with somebody. And that's really cool that Sandbox was able to capture that. And also the community that he made it for received it so well because they were going, yes, okay, yes, I remember that happening. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, wow, this editing or the music or I didn't know that story about that person because it wasn't just... Here's the gameplay. How cool is that? <laughs> Which, of course, going back now, we, we've, we've seen Mango versus Zane in 
2021 and summit 11 so maybe it's not the crispiest of melee but it's it's still melee however the stories just like pull you in and i think that it's hard to recreate that as well from Samus's perspective for the metagame documentary, which I still thought was good or for any of us who are trying to make something that is appealing to a person who's never heard of melee, a casual melee fan or a hardcore melee fan. Like it is so difficult to capture all three of those things. And for myself, I, I try to think of it every once in a while where I go, I should try to ask like a few more basic questions sometimes or be like, what's a wave dash? But I don't know if I really want to do that at the same time either. I just feel like if the story comes across or if you as, as oddball in particular come across well and are represented well, I think that's, that's something that I'm trying to capture and pay tribute to a piece of media that like is going to always be something that I go back to every once in a while and just go this is still really cool i mean yeah like you said probably should be patched in a way but it's still really cool <laughs> yeah i mean yeah there's 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 not much more that i could say on it but i just i just love it so much so when are you going to be able to do something like that this magnum opus of yours you said it was coming out soon so do you have like a rough did you have a rough estimate in time i think it kind of cut out when you were originally talking about it i don't want you to tease it too hard either because you're probably trying to keep it under wraps still so you can share as much as or as little as you want pass the question whatever um, it's, well, I wouldn't say that it's my magnum opus. It's definitely like the most like ambitious piece that I've probably written, like for any esport. I would say, uh, maybe ever, probably ever. Yeah. I would say, I guess like, I mean, I have like serialized projects that are probably longer and, um, have like some more ambitious ideas, but, um, yeah, it's definitely like up there. The big things that are like sort of keeping it is it's kind of in purgatory at the moment because um, this is a call out. I don't know if my editor will watch this, but edit that article because he he's been he's been procrastinating it and just refuses to do it 100% because he just is so intimidated by the word count and never wants to touch it. Uh, yeah. Ooh, let's uh, I go. Mean, all kidding aside, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of actually getting it edited. And honestly, one of the things I also want to do is hopefully actually just be able to talk to that player. I haven't actually been able to contact them yet, but. Um, I'm I I really I think that it's a banger and hopefully within the next few months uh whenever people ever see this it'll be out and they will they will be liking it. Yeah, and you know, I if hopefully it pops off really well, but you would be willing to share that with the player before and you could talk about it through the lens of the uh of the AMSA article or with Ice well, wait, hold on. Ice knew what the article is going to be about. He got interviewed for crying out loud, but would you be actually willing to take notes from the person that the article is about? Like, and that can be just generalized to anybody that you would write an article on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll be like, uh, that, that gets just so much more legitimacy to it because, you know, no matter how much of your heart and soul um, you put into something, like if you're writing about another person and then the other person just says, that's not true. I, I don't believe that. Or like, I, 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 that's not the reason that I did this then, you know, it kind of delegitimizes it and uh, doesn't uh, put it in the best of light. So, I mean, 
Yeah, I would say that that definitely is something. Granted, it all depends on like the context you're going for. The context I'm going is just like a general historical piece and uh, like sort of analyzing why they came to be so great. But I mean, there are instances probably where you may want to criticize a player. You may want to do something like that. And it can't always be like the most appropriate to like reach them for comment because that can be like incredibly unproductive if uh, they just want to like argue with you then. Um, so. I would say that I would agree that for the most part, yeah, I do I like reach out to the player. But obviously, depending on the player, if there's someone that's like incredibly successful and incredibly busy, that's just not always realistic. With always a respect uh, to always expect them to be included in it in some sense. Yeah, it did do be that way sometimes. Like I haven't reached out to like every single person in the melee community, although I am trying to eventually get to that point. But I've I've gotten enough no's. Uh, like you were saying earlier, it's just a unique opportunity, maybe compared to the more mainstream, popular League of Legends type stuff, where you have to go through a lot of channels. Whereas with Melee, usually you can get a hold of the person that you're actually trying to talk to because it's not a lot of middle people. Because you know what middle people like? They like money. And there's not a lot of money in Melee. So the good news is that you're still kind of in that sweet spot where people are somewhat approachable and even online, not slime. By the way, for the record, I didn't ask Slime to come onto the podcast. Let the record show. I just know better than to ask Slime because if you listen to the Ard podcast, which is hilarious, you just know not to ask. But anyway, the all that to say, <laughs> I'm I I love that it's not just it's not just like I lost my train of thought, but it's not going to always be a picturesque. Like, oh, I asked them and they were so generous with their time at the same breath, in the same breath. You're going to have people who say no and that's okay. But you've had the courage to ask and I feel like I've done that as well. So for those of you who are potentially interested in doing either what Oddball you are doing or what I'm doing, it is something that's technically feasible within Melee. You just have to be willing to hear no. It's, it's a little tough sometimes, but also keeps you in check with the uh, the ego like look who i got and then you get a no from somebody else and you go oh and it just evens out in the end what i will say though is that i mean of all because this isn't i mean there are more sort of wild west like opportunities i try to do a lot of interviews with like uh streamers and um some like valorant people and those are also sort of like the case where it is sort of a wild west type thing where there isn't a structured um and like flow chart way of like how you're supposed to get interviews it is more you just have to actually personally reach out the smash community is by far the most receptive and like the most like um generous in terms of like players willing to like give their time so i think that granted it's not um it is like harder in some respects, but if you want to like be able to learn as a journalist and if you want to be able to uh, see good results as a content creator, I think it's a place, I think it's a community that is heavily underlooked and something that a lot of people should definitely value a lot more. In the coming months, hopefully that continues to be the case. We made some waves with Summit 11. 
Ultimate is making waves, and yes, to a certain extent, we're benefiting each other by both succeeded and winning, so hopefully that'll continue in an upward positive direction. Love to see players get sponsored. That's like one kind of immediate symptomatic growth of going, oh, hey, look, that's cool. That doesn't happen because nobody cares. That happens because enough people care, and there's like legitimacy coming in, So, and, and other things like people like yourself being able to pay at least some of the bills or hopefully all of them by writing for esports heaven and Inven global who i didn't even get to ask you about writing for them so we'll do that i'll ask you about that now what that's like and then we'll start to wrap up so you write part-time for them is that correct yep um yeah so for the most part uh i just like receive like a monthly salary not enough to live off of uh with esports heaven just um having like a set amount of pieces um every single every single week and then for invent global i'm a contributor which uh in contract terms is like basically essentially a freelance role but that's like i i am i i contribute very heavily to that website i do like several uh articles a week and um am hopefully expanding their smash section a lot more because that's actually something that um, wasn't as much of a thing Traditionally, it's a, it's like the separation. I'll just explain Invent Global real quick, just because I think it's an interesting story. But it is the largest uh, Korean uh, sports, like esports site in uh, the Eastern world, and they just recently, within the like last few years, expanded uh, and created Invent Global, which is basically like the Western branch where they started doing League of Legends content and stuff like that been doing really well as a site on that front but obviously they've wanted to grow and expand it to other communities and um i talked with them a lot and uh, my editor was really receptive to it and agreed with me a lot that uh, the smash community even though compared to other games it's not necessarily the largest but the community is extremely passionate and extremely ex like hungry for content so it's it's just a lovely place to work with and uh yeah hopefully we'll be doing it more soon it's it's an easy way to see in terms of the golden guardian signing on three more melee players after re-signing zane and saying we are going to do all the content and regularly when they tweet for the record their tweets are actually good tweets so i'm not saying that they're just putting out tweets they put them out they get like a thousand plus likes each time it's just showing the world hey we out here we are living and we like supporting people who are trying to support us and so for you for anybody else out there who's doing stuff for melee right on so oddball please tell the people where they can find you unfortunately the first like 30 seconds or so where i said all the things that you do and where they can find you initially we're not recorded, but we can do that now. So can you please tell everybody where they can find you and who you write for? Sure. On Twitter, uh, go to at Creator. That's my Twitter. Uh, I'm not the most active on it, probably should be more. But uh, if you want to find retweets of my articles and also sometimes tweets of me uh, talking to players and stuff like that, check me out. That's where you'll find like most of my content. And then obviously, uh, esportsheaven.com, you can find a lot of my uh, like feature pieces and stuff. I have a really good piece on SFAT there that I loved writing. 
and then Invent Global, where you can just find, I'm trying to hopefully be able to do one to two interviews a week with all your favorite Smash personalities. I love that. Oddball, thank you so much for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Thank you so much for having me.